0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Madison, a community coming home to Jesus and His church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. There's wonderful power in the blood, wonder-working Power. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. On the mount of crucifixion, fountains opened deep and wide through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? I come from deep Texan and Oklahoman roots, and so I've been in my fair share of hymn sings, in my day, I've also played in bluegrass bands, and so I've been kind of saturated in this hymnody. And I'm shocked how our ancestors who wrote these hymns don't relate to Jesus's cross, they don't relate to his blood in particular, um, as something that happened in history or as a legal transaction. And I find that for me, having been a Christian for some time, and whether you're here and you're new to Christianity or you're watching or you've been in the church for a while, It's easy to think about Jesus's cross as a legal transaction. My debt was paid, I'm forgiven. But the people who wrote those lyrics are interacting with it in a way where they're saying, no, Jesus's blood has power for you now. Have you experienced it? Don't you love how many questions are in the old hymns? Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. The hymns are invitations. What was the wonderful, wonder-working power of the blood? That's our meditation this evening. Reminding ourselves that there's power in the blood. That's wonderful. Maybe discovering it for the first time. But in order to dig into and understand the power of the blood of Jesus, Really need to begin by reminding ourselves what the power of sin is. Because the power of the blood is all about overcoming the power of sin. And to understand that, the power of sin, I actually want to take us back to the very first time that the power of sin took over um, with the fall of Adam and Eve. So if you are at home. And you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to grab your Bible and turn with me to Genesis 3. If you're here and you have a Bible, would you do the same? If you don't have a Bible, it's totally okay. I'll read it. This is Genesis 3, verse 6, is where we're going to start. Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise... She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. That is the first sin in history. The first time people rebelled against God, the first time that somebody did something wrong. And Genesis, in verse 7, says there is one immediate consequence of the first sin, There's only one thing that's pointed out that happens as a result of this in this epic historic moment. And it is, verse 7 Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. The consequence of their sin is that their eyes are opened, they see that they're naked. But Genesis is not talking about actual eyes, right? Because they had eyes, their eyes were already open, and they were looking at each other's naked bodies. The opening of their eyes is not literal here. It's poetic. It's a metaphor for the conscience, for the eyes of the soul, the eyes of the heart. And what we see happening to Adam and Eve as a result of this first sin the New Testament will later describe as the defiling of the conscience. Their inner eyes open up to their sin. And two things happen as a result of this defiling of their conscience. First, they're filled with shame. Previously they were naked and unashamed, now they are tormented by an inner shame. So their sin was not just a mess up on a legal record. Like, yeah, I did that. Other people care about it, but I actually don't care about it. That's how we feel sometimes. But Genesis notes that the immediate effect of what they did was an inner turmoil and tormenting that started. It polluted their self-knowledge of how they saw themselves. It polluted their own self-perspective. It wasn't just that they did something wrong, and they did, they also felt wrong. They bore their wrongness, if I can use that phrase. The second thing that happened as a result of that was that they hide. They sow fig leaves, they head for the bushes. Their inner eyes are opened up, they don't like what they see, and so they run. And in particular, they run from God. They used to love being with God, they used to walk with God in the garden. But now, even though the thought, even the thought of God fills them with fear and dread, they sprint away from God because of what happened inside them. And this is the power of sin in our life. Yes, our sin has physical, moral, relational ramifications outside of us. This isn't the only power of sin. But I do find it interesting that the one thing that Genesis decides to point out is this thing. What happens inside of them. And this is something that we all experience because we all sin. We don't just do wrong things, we bear our wrongness as an effect of it. And it makes us hide our true selves People don't have fig leaves anymore, but we do have lots of types of fig leaves. So our plight from sin, if we're tracking with this, is not just external or legal. It's internal. It's spiritual. It's emotional. We don't just need a debt to be canceled. We do need that, and Jesus does do that. What we need is a reversal of whatever it was that happened to Adam and Eve on the inside that filled them with shame and made them run. Did you catch that in Psalm 51? David says, my sin is ever before me. He's not speaking literally, he's bearing it. And he says, you desire truth in the inward parts. When we experience this and we all do, it's miserable and we usually try to deal with it in one of two ways. First, we try to purify our conscience through Christian morality or religiosity. We think, when I do bad things, I feel awful, so I'm just going to stop doing bad stuff. I'm just not going to do any bad things anymore. And that sounds like a great idea, except it never works, because no one can stop. Eventually, you're going to do that bad thing again. It's going to double your inner shame, And it's gonna double your efforts that you have to put in to hide yourself even more. And that, for those of you who have ever been in legalistic circles, is a vicious cycle. Jesus saw the Pharisees who were the greatest do-gooders of all time, law keepers. We shouldn't put these people down, they kept every rule. But Jesus looks at them and he says, man, you guys are so clean on the outside but inside you're so messed up still. You clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is so dirty. Religion, whether it's false religion or even Christian religion, can never purify your conscience. The other way is to do what the Bible calls searing your conscience. And this is just to try to drown it out. Um, It feels bad, it's getting in the way of things, you hate the way it makes you feel, And so you just try to repress it, to drown it out. There are many ways to see your conscience. One is through substance abuse. I feel awful, so I'm just going to get drunk. I'm just going to wake up every morning and get high. Another one is intellectually trying to drown it out. I can't bear this inner turmoil any longer, so I'm going to get a PhD in philosophy, and I'm going to argue my way brilliantly around my conscience, until I believe it's not there, and it's a social structure that I can deny. Another way is just entertainment. Just watch the next Netflix episode. Pour yourself into a hobby so you don't have to stop and listen to what's happening inside of you. And yet nothing, nothing has the power to overcome a defiled conscience. Nothing has the power to blind the eyes that have been opened by sin. We self medicate. We have extremely impressive fig leaves. But they're still exactly what they were for Adam and Eve coping mechanisms. Just a way to try to cover up. And they're a far cry. From the opposite which is being free and able to just be in God's presence to be in another person's presence the power of sin is so many effects but that's a big part of the power of sin over us now what is the power of the blood would you flip with me in your to your hebrews reading this is where i want to camp out for the rest of our time And there's two different portions there. Let's start with uh, chapter 9, verse 13 and 14. Verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now look at the end in chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, his body, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The blood of Jesus does what nothing else can, It purifies, it liberates, it cleanses the conscience, the inner parts, the blood, and the blood alone has the power to wash you on the inside. In that passage in Hebrews, it's referring to this Old Testament rite for ritual purity, Um, which was for people who were ritually unclean, whether it was a sin they did or if they just touched a dead body and they were unclean, there was a way for them to become clean. And that is that they would have a sacrifice, a heifer that was sacrificed, and it was burned to ashes, and they would keep those ashes from that sacrifice. And then when somebody was unclean, they would come and they would take the ashes from the sacrifice, and there would be living water Old Testament says which is another way to say fresh water but living water is beautiful and they would take some of the ashes and put it in the water and then they would take a hyssop branch which is why it talks about hyssop in Hebrews and they would dip it in with it and then it would be as simple as sprinkling them with the water. When David is praying in Psalm 51 and he says I want to be clean purge me with hyssop and I'll be clean this is what he's talking about. And it was a hyssop branch that put the blood over the doorposts in Israel. And did you notice there's a hyssop branch involved in Jesus' crucifixion? So this was a way for them to become clean to a certain extent, but Hebrews is saying it was only the outside of the cup. It could make them ritually clean, but it could never get inside the priest, inside the common Israelite, to purify them from their sin in their conscience and in their soul how much more so it's saying, the blood of Jesus, God has made a way to get inside you and to clean you. Look with me at the front of your bulletin really quick at this painting. I love this painting. Marissa and I love this painting. We have this in our house. This is the Pieta after Jesus' cross, but look at the bottom. I love the artist puts the crown of thorns around a water basin because it's like Jesus sitting down after he's made purification for sins. Jesus sees us in the bushes. He sees us in inner to- turmoil. He sees through our fig leaves. Maybe, maybe your other friends don't even see you in, in the anguish that you're in. Places and ways that we try to hide ourselves, Jesus sees all through that. And God Himself made a way, loved you so much that He suffered the utter, unfathomable agony of the cross in order to provide a purifying way for you to be clean, not just on the outside, but all the way through. What are the effects of this purification that Jesus brings? remember the two immediate effects um, of sin from adam and eve first their eyes were opened they were filled with shame from what they saw and second they ran from god and did you notice how hebrews says the blood of jesus has the power to reverse both of those where there was shame the blood of christ purifies and perfects the conscience the heart the inner eyes of the soul are sprinkled clean So there's this cleansing of the pollution of our inner life. Transforms the way you even see yourself and understand yourself. The evil conscience, if we're functioning under an evil conscience in the Bible, it says, I am a sinner, and I am under condemnation, and I'm ugly, and I know it, and I feel it the purified conscience from Jesus says, I'm a sinner, and I've been forgiven, and I'm free, and I'm loved, and I know it, and I feel it. So we go from bearing our wrongness before God to bearing our belovedness in utter peace. And what happens As a side effect of that, it's a reversal of the other thing that happens to Adam and Eve. You come out of hiding. You don't need to hide anymore. Notice how all these words in Hebrews are the exact opposite of Adam and Eve's impulse to run and hide. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, let us draw near with a true heart, with full assurance, there's no fear there anymore. Says elsewhere in Hebrews, you might know, we boldly approach the throne of grace. So the power of sin bearing down on our conscience is characterized by fear, dread, and shame, and the impulse to hide. But a conscience which has come under the wonderful, wonder-working power of the blood In Jesus is characterized by forgiveness, by a lightness, confidence, full assurance of faith to be in God's presence, and the impulse to draw close to God. Sin makes you run away. The blood of Jesus makes you just sprint towards union with him. So here's our reflection for this evening as we enter into our service. What characterizes your inner life? What power is at work within you and is controlling as the reins of your conscience? The power of sin or the wonder-working power of the blood? In a room like this, Um, and with a live stream with whoever, those of you who are watching on the live stream. Each of us is going to have our own answer to that question. And God knows it, and it's beautiful. But I'm assuming some of us are thinking, I've lived in fear and dread and shame pretty much my whole life. I've never experienced the power of the blood. I've never even followed Jesus before. I don't really even know what you're talking about. But I, I would like some of that, please, if it's true if there really is power in it. Others of us, I'm assuming, are thinking, I'm a Christian and I know I'm forgiven. And I even have tasted some of that before, but not right now. I feel like I know the power of blood on paper, if you know what I mean. I'm more in touch with my wrongness than with my belovedness. And I'm expecting some of us are feeling that because that's been my story. Over the past few months, I have been in a a season of severe inner turmoil and torment, I think. When David says, I feel like my sin is always before me, I identify with that. Some of that was the depth of my own sin becoming revealed to me, and part of it I know was the enemy, who's the accuser, is shoving myself in my face because the enemy loves to create that division. Our impulse to run and hide, our impulse to focus on our own sin and our own shame, he feeds the fire. He makes it big in the eyes that have been opened by sin. But God has led me on this journey uh, in the Scriptures to ask for, I've had this surge of a desire to rush and cling to the blood of Jesus and to ask for its power in my life and to receive it, and it has been utterly transformative for me, and I'm a pastor. (laughs) Just as there was that one sacrifice that had ashes and it was continually applied through the living water. You brought the water and sprinkled with it. In the same way, when we come to Jesus, we're forgiven. Notice Hebrews says he secured an eternal redemption. It's done but there's a continual application of Jesus's sacrifice. This is a font. It's new. We've never had it before, which is really exciting. Um, It's beautiful, it's with our other things, but in an Anglican church or in other traditional churches, you'll find one of these is by the door because when you come into worship, and it will be by the door soon, Uh, We'll have a baptism on Sunday, but it's by the door because you're always entering into God's presence like Hebrews through the waters of your baptism. And so sometimes you'll see people in church walk into church and do this just to remember your baptism and that you've been cleaned. We do this thing sometimes in our churches where we actually, we won't do this this Sunday because of COVID, a priest will walk around with water and literally just sprinkle the crowd. I actually might have just got you, Ethan. And all of it is a ministry of continually applying the purifying, sprinkling blood of Jesus deeper and in more profound ways. And that's what we're here to do tonight, regardless of wherever you are at. Some of you might be new to Christianity, and this might be a time where you're thinking, I want to experience that for the first time, and I actually want to receive that from the first time because it's, it's on offer, and for those of us, again, a huge part of my experience was just realizing that the enemy, I was, I was being bullied uh, by a, an evil conscience, a, devi- a defiled conscience. That can happen, and the power of the blood for me has been washing that and just cleansing it. I'm beloved. I'm free. I'm loved. I'm forgiven, So we're gonna spend the rest of our time tonight in prayer and worship. We're gonna open up our hearts to God and we're gonna ask him to minister that power to us. There's a couple ways we're gonna open up spaces for this. Um, In a second, we are gonna do something that people have done for a really long time. I was talking to somebody in our church that said they read this morning uh, that some people were doing this in the fourth century and even then it was called ancient. So imagine how old that is. But we are gonna pick up our cross and we're gonna have a procession of it around the room. It might be new to some of us, but it's a, a really powerful way that we kind of get to see the cross moving in our midst. And after that, we're going to lay it down on the stage. We're going we're to move uh, some of our furniture here, and we're just going to have a chance to come up and spend time with the cross. Um, this is something that people have done for a long time and are doing tonight all over the world. Um, we'll explain how we do that in a second in terms of with coronavirus and keeping that safe. Um, but I wanna encourage you guys to, to take some time with the cross and just even to come up and be close to it and to pray over it and to pray into this. Where do you feel like the power of sin is ruling over you and where do you want the power of, of Jesus' blood to sprinkle it clean, to wash it? For those of you who are at home, um, if you've been doing Holy Week at home, you might have a cross in your house and I would encourage you as we are processing our cross uh, to do the same in your household. Um, and so you can put a cross down in the middle of your room and you can pray around it or even if it's a small cross or anything just to have that as a symbol in your house or living room to pray with. We're also gonna have prayer ministry. There's just gonna be a couple people. I'll be one of them back there um, who would love to pray for you and I wanna encourage you to receive prayer. Uh, if there's anything that you really want to pray into or you need to confess and receive just somebody praying over you the Lord's forgiveness um, and ministering to that to you, I would encourage you to do that. And just with this theme of being sprinkled by the blood of Jesus, one of the things we do in prayer is we actually use holy water, uh, which is new to some of us, but it's just a symbol just like we have a font. It's a reminder of our baptism. Um, And so if you're comfortable with that, they can even just help just minister you just some holy water while they're praying for you to just experience that sprinkling in Jesus. And for those of you at home, again, I want to encourage you. uh, Maddie and Marissa are going to lead us in worship. um, And we're just going to have time to, to be with the Lord in this time. And for you at home, I would love to encourage you to pray as well. If you have someone you can pray with or just pray with the Lord. Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, brothers and sisters, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.